Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Well, we have an important show for you today. I think this is on the mind of a lot of people who are invest and own companies, are in the real estate business, really everyone around the world. And that is the coronavirus or COVID-19. You know, what is the impact of this on our economy and on commercial real estate? Look, this started in China and it spread to uh, South Korea, to Japan, now it's in Italy and Iran and other countries. You know, as of this taping, over 2,600 people have died. And, and obviously that's the worst part of this, right? The, the human toll. But on top of that, there's also an impact on our economy. You know, the stock market's already taken a hit. Uh, you know, the supply chain is taking a hit. We're already hearing it from, from our clients um, all, all around the country. Well, let's find out what the real toll is and what we might expect moving forward. Please welcome my first guest. It's Mitch Rochelle, and he's a partner with PwC, and he's joining us on video. Mitch, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Mitch, I love the uh, books behind you. Obviously, that's <laughs> why you're so smart. Yeah, all those books you've read. <laughs> I bought them all on eBay, Michael. They uh, they came as a package. You know, 500 books that had never been read. Still haven't <laughs> yeah. been read. Uh, they look pretty red. All right, let's get to it, Mitch. I mean, uh, what, is this how big is this? I mean, obviously, a lot of people are concerned about it, but when you look at it, there's a lot of people killed by in car accidents and and by the flu, but this seems to be also just having a bigger impact on the economy? If you just look at the, the medical and human toll side of this and, and how quickly the coronavirus uh, has been spreading, if you go back uh, several years ago to when the MERS virus outbreak uh, hit us, it was over 900 days before the first thousand cases were reported. If you look at the SARS virus, uh, that was about 100 um, and 40 some odd days before the first thousand cases. In the case of coronavirus, it was less than 50 days. So I think it's the speed at which this is spreading and the concern that the medical community around the planet can't catch up quick enough. The death toll is devastating. Uh, the spread of the contagion around the world uh, medically is horrifying. And I think that's the backdrop that's really beginning to disrupt commerce around the planet. The bigger question is, what could this do to the economy? And I think what's really has markets right now on tilt is that we don't know yet, right? So um, anecdotally, we could you know unpack a bunch of stories, but the fact of the matter is the true uh, economic impact of this contagion around the globe, I think has uh, the market and investors right now on tilt. Yeah, I mean, it shows you how connected really the entire world is now, right? I mean, you know, when there's a lot of people that, that aren't working in China, you know, they're making parts that, that we're using in other countries that we're using here. And it uh, can really Im impact the supply chain and really have a nice ripple or, or a bad ripple effect, right? Yeah, and, and I think that supply chain is something that's not well understood. So when you think about buying a completed product anywhere on the planet, you don't really think about what are the, all of the component parts and where they all come from and where they're assembled and then perhaps where they're reassembled. Uh, so something that is a motor that makes something go 
whether it be in a car, whether it be in some sort of a machine, however sophisticated it is, could literally have hundreds, if not thousands of parts. And those parts are sourced from around the planet and they can be assembled in any number of places. So that's one of the pieces of the equation. Take the phone that you probably have on your desk right there. There are hundreds, if not thousands of parts that go into that. And then think about the machines that are created to create those parts. Um, that is part of the global supply chain. So the glass may be domestically sourced, but the inner workings of the, the device that we've become um, reliant upon is manufactured or assembled uh, in China. So that's the way this all plays out. And companies, I think, are just beginning to figure out the impact of a closed plant on production and supply chain. Because for two years, we've been dealing with trade war and that was just economic pain. That was tariffs. That was a changing cost profile. But at a price, the goods, the materials could get delivered. Here, they can't be delivered because the factory may not be open. Yeah. And there's a lot of these factories that uh, have been shut down, right? Yeah. And, and the Chinese government, and I'm not here to pass judgment on whether or not they did things right or they did things wrong. But the fact of the matter is, you know, at some point in January, they started shutting everything down. The biggest challenge around uh, the coronavirus is it hit and it became apparent that this was a problem right during Chinese New Year when you know a tremendous population of, of folks were on the move around the planet. We're talking about two, 300 million uh, Chinese nationals um, and expats that are on the move around the planet, which the fear was how that could spread. So what the Chinese government did was just lock everything down, close the factories, close the stores, uh, quarantine people in place, and there, we're just starting to have factories back open again, but we don't really understand the longer term or medium term impact of that on production. And are some of the companies, Mitch, already that are going to be impacted by this supply chain slowdown, are some kind of companies already kind of spreading the news that, hey, this may bring down our uh, numbers in the next quarter or after that? So if, let's say you're talking about, uh, for example, a U.S. publicly traded company. Um, I, you're starting to see forward guidance um, and realize the timing wasn't great because right while uh, the beginnings of um, the understanding of what this could all mean was right during fourth quarter earnings season. So companies were beginning to report earnings as part of the earnings reporting process. You do offer forward guidance about uh, the quarters ahead. And I think they just started touching on that. You also have investors days for a lot of publicly traded companies. And I think during investor day, they're getting a little bit more granular, getting a little bit more transparent about what this can all mean. And then at the same token, you have the Fed that has acknowledged that this could be something that slows down the global economy. But at this point, it's too soon to tell. The thing that's important is we're focusing on the US economy. But you have to realize that China is the second largest economy in the world, and it is interconnected with all other economies. So there are places that we're not trading partners with, but the Chinese are. Uh, for example, you see cases in Iran. We obviously don't trade with Iran. We have sanctions you know, at the wazoo against Iran, but China trades with Iran. So that's why you see back and forth commerce, and you're actually seeing cases in Iran. So the impact of this on the global economy which was tenuous at best, right? Look at Japan. Right now, Japan's in recession. Uh, the UK dealing with Brexit is seeing a slower economy. Germany is still trying to get out from 
uh, the economic malaise that they're in. Then you layer on top of this a massive disruption in the world's second largest economy. I think the ripple effects are, the, are exactly what right now, as we speak, and I don't know when this is going to air, which is what has the market very, very concerned. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's understandable. So you have the supply chain issues, uh, but you also have an impact potentially on, on hotels, right, and airlines and you know, the, just the travel industry overall, because that's a big part uh, of the world economy as well, yeah. right? Yeah, I, one, of my, one of my sons at sophomore in college next week was supposed to go to Barcelona uh, with some of his friends for their spring break. Uh, last night, he made the decision, not us, but we obviously uh, were part of the decision-making process to not go because he was concerned because there is a story of uh, a hotel on lockdown in the Canary Islands. Uh, what really has started upsetting the market this week was the news of cases in Italy um, and how quickly the Italian government took some drastic measures to really uh, lock down major cities. Mm -hmm. uh, that was during the Carnival week, so they canceled Carnival celebrations. There's talk of the Japanese government potentially and the IOC uh, canceling the, the Summer Olympics this year. So when you hear measures that um, extreme, people in, in the world who really don't quite understand what the ramifications are hear that and say, oh my gosh, this really could be worse than we ever thought. And that's what begins the process of layering a tremendous amount of uncertainty. The worst thing for economic expansion is uncertainty. Yeah. And we're talking about a serious thing here, but I got to pick up on that. You said your son decided not to go. And I thought it was real sweet to hear you say that you think you had something to do with that decision, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Michael, you and I have similar age children, and I think you try to empower them to make uh, smart choices, which unfortunately they don't always do. But the fact of the matter is uh, he, he, he led with that decision. And when we started thinking about it, and here's the interesting thing about that, not to get overly transparent about what's going on in the Rochelle family, but <laughs> this is a reality. Let's say you're traveling on business, and I have some international travel coming up in the next couple of weeks, and you just get a cold or you know, what could appear to be flu-like symptoms in the normal uh, course of you know, being run down and jet lag. Well, if you have a fever and you're trying to come, leave a country, that country may say, you're not leaving. And uh, I think that those are the kinds of stories when they start getting out there, it's really going to accelerate the, the, the lack of travel. And so the airlines industry is impacted. The hotel industry is impacted. Um, conferences, major conferences are being canceled. Uh, you know, you talk about the Olympics. There was a conference in Barcelona that was canceled. I'm speaking at MIPAM and Con in two weeks. Uh, they made the decision to keep it on. But, you know, what are the impact on communities that rely on something of that scale when it's shut down? So these are all of the um, drivers of uh, economic uh, slowing that I think we're worried about uh, uh, hitting us in some quarter to follow. Yeah. And, you know, I had you on the show when we went over uh, the Emerging Trends, uh, ULI Emerging Trends Report, PwC Report, and, you know, you talked about the economy's looking good, commercial real estate's looking good, uh, GDP growth w was fine. Does this make you kind of stop and ponder uh, GDP expectations uh, moving forward? You know, it, it's, it's a hard one to... to really wrap my brains around. Right now, if you look at the incident rate in China, and this is uh, some news that I uh, picked up earlier today, it looks like it's slowing there, but it's picking up around the world. 
there's discussion that I've heard from, and I'm not a doctor and I don't even play one on television, <laughs> uh, but the fact of the matter is um, there is a silver lining out there. They feel like when temperatures get warmer uh, and sort of flu season is over, uh, maybe this will reverse itself. Uh, you have the you know, World Health Organization and the Center for Disease Control in the United States um, trying feverishly to figure out ways to come up with vaccines. Um, but when the CDC came out uh, this week and said that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when this comes to the United States, I think those are the kinds of things that uh, start spooking people. And the reason why the real estate, uh, and we were so optimistic in emerging trends, is because the prospects for the industry really look good. The backdrop of the economy from GDP growth to employment growth continue to seem strong. We're in a low interest rate environment, yada, 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 all good things. But when you layer on top of it something that could chill all of that optimism, what happens is pessimism starts breathing pessimism. And I think it's uncertainty. So the best thing that could happen in this environment would obviously be the mortality rate takes a dramatic shift for the better uh, for humankind. But more importantly, more information becomes available. And once more information is available, markets like that. I'll go back to what happened on Monday of this week. Uh, and if this airs in two weeks, you'll have to use your imagination. But what happened on Monday is this week was when incidents started coming out in Italy and no one saw that coming, that's when the market slide uh, happened because markets, whether they be real estate capital markets or publicly traded equity markets or bond markets, do not like surprises. And I think we found ourselves with a surprise. And right now, the market's expecting that there's going to be another surprise. They just don't know what it is. Yeah. And when we talked about emerging trends, you said, hey, absent some um, extraordinary changes in the world uh, environment, things look good moving forward for commercial real estate. This could possibly be one of those items. So does it adjust your thinking for commercial real estate in 2020 or 2021 moving forward? Um, here's what I'll say, and uh, for those of you listening, watching the program, who've heard me speak on the road, uh, you've heard this before, but for the rest of the audience, I'll say it again, which is if you go back to the dawn of time and look at the two ways in which wealth has been accumulated on the planet, there's really only two ways. Uh, one is precious metals, and I'll come back to that in a second. The other is property. If you look at the precious metals basket, that is all investment um, categories that can be a trade can be settled in. So it's everything from stocks to bonds to currencies to precious metals to inventories, all of the trading assets. Two things happen in times of uncertainty. The first is within the trading asset basket, there's a flight to quality. So you see the 10 year treasury right now was at, uh, I think, hit a low of 3.31. Uh, 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 it ticked up a little bit. You saw a run up in gold. So that's exactly the flight to quality. But here's an important thing for real estate folks to remember. The other thing that happens in times of, um, of instability, whether it be geopolitical risk or something, uh, heaven forbid, like this, investors rotate out of the precious metals basket or the trading asset basket, and they rotate, rotate into real estate. So from a uh, investor perspective, believe it or not, times like this could yield more investors in real estate. Um, but the most important thing to real estate, obviously, is the underlying fundamentals. And if GDP does slow globally or in the United States, that could be, you know, a little wind out of the sails. But from an investor perspective, 
people don't run away from real estate in times like this. They actually run to it. Interesting. So there may be is just as many uh, buyers interested in investing in commercial real estate, but uh, if the economy does weaken some, well, obviously, like you told me before the interview, in one of those books, it says that the economy <laughs> impacts commercial real estate, right? Yeah, I think that was a James Patterson book that I pulled out at the time, but uh, you will, we'll use our imagination, Michael. <laughs> well, that's excellent. Well, Mitch, thanks for joining us. Great information as usual. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, stay with us. We're going to have more on the coronavirus and the impact on the economy and commercial real estate. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Have you seen the DNA of CRE? Well, it's a survey you can take about how commercial agents work day to day their technology, their challenges, the systems, and a lot more about how commercial agents and their marketing people work. And you get access to the results. So take the survey, check out the results. You can find it at the show website, which is CREshow.com, and then look for the DNA of CRE. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. The segment's brought to you by the DNA of CRE. That's right, the DNA of CRE. If you haven't checked that, if you're a real estate, commercial real estate agent, check it out. Or if you're in marketing for a commercial real estate brokerage firm. All right, well, today we're talking about the impact of the coronavirus on the economy and commercial real estate. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, on the first segment, we recorded that about a week ago. And things have changed uh, today. And uh, so it's interesting to see kind of what has happened in the last week with the coronavirus and the market and everything else. Please welcome my guest. It's KC Conway. He's chief economist with the CCIM Institute. He's here in Studio One. KC, good to see you again. Great to see you, Michael. <laughs> uh, you know, and first of all, let's look at kind of a week ago because you were going to we we're going to do the show with you earlier and, you, and things got delayed. And it's kind of interesting because the stock market has really rallied today. I mean, uh, it's like, all right, well, there's so much green, there's so much rally, but the coronavirus is not fixed. What's that? What's going on here? Yeah, so it's been a bumpy ride. So mm -hmm. last week was the sharpest decline ever in the shortest period, like, you know, almost, what, 12%, 3,200 points. And Monday it came back. We had our biggest increase in one day since the end of December 2018. Um, and then yesterday it all went to hell, went down 785 points, and today it's back. I think part of what's driving today are two things. I think, one, there is a bit of a um, Super Tuesday effect uh, in which maybe uh, a lot of the market is maybe breathing a sigh of relief that maybe we're not going to be running a socialist against a capitalist. Maybe we'll swap two capitalists just mm -hmm. with different ideologies mm -hmm. uh, in November. The second one is 
we got to remember that most of this trading today is by robots, not people. There are all these algorithms. And so the robots look, and part of what happened on Monday was not that they listened to the Fed over the weekend or last Friday. They said, oh my gosh, if the VIX goes above, say, 35 or 40, we do X. And we, you know, we get back in and buy the market or we sell the market. So with the Fed doing the interest rate cut, an out-of-market cycle, uh, 50 basis point. We've only had 25. We don't even know what a half dollar piece looks like anymore. I know. That surprised me. <laughs> I saw 50 basis points. I'm like, wait, what's, what's going on here? This is scary. <laughs> it's new math of the Fed. Okay. <laughs> and so they look at that and they say, well, wait a minute. Now maybe with those kind of rates and a 1% or less 10-year treasury, the multiples in the market can be repriced and we can maybe go in and more, more selectively buy based on how all that factors in. So the robots are being very mischievous. They're probably going to be this year's naughtiest elf of the year. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So the impact then of the coronavirus is, is still there? It's still very real? Oh, it's very real and it's expanding. Yeah. We know we finally got our first couple of cases here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's spreading like mad through the ACC now, so we're really worried whether we'll be able to have the NCAA basketball tournament because now there's there's more tournament markets that have states without breaks. Um, it's it's not slowing, and the progression's going to continue. Uh, we've now seen it spread deeper into Europe, and we have more travelers. In fact, the travelers that are trying to get back from Europe, I have a I have a sibling uh, that was traveling on a you know worldwide cruise for several months. They decided to get off a cruise ship. <laughs> they don't they don't want to be quarantined. So they found that where they got off was going to be one of the um, uh, geographies, one of the countries that was going to get screened when they came in. So they yeah. said, well, instead of coming in from that country, let's fly to another one that's oh. not on the screening list oh. and still come into Atlanta or New York, and we won't be on the screen list. So we, we don't have a good handle on this at all. Yeah. So it's not going away. The virus, you know, if it's like most, it behaves in a manner where with the warm weather in the spring and summer, it abates. But what happened with the H1N1 and the Spanish flu and all the other real bad ones is it kind of goes dormant, it morphs, and it comes back the next year in a more uh, in a more um, potent fashion. So even if we get through it, we probably shouldn't breathe a complete sigh of relief. We got to worry a whole nother year and see what happens. How do you expect this coronavirus to impact earnings for companies? Yeah. So you know, I, I wrote a piece uh, this morning in our weekly insight at the Alabama Center for Real Estate, <laughs> and I, I gave a I gave a quote and a, and a citation credit to somebody. So the quote is, "I've described the economy as VUCA. VUCA. V U C A. It's volatile. <laughs> uh, it's um, uh, gosh, just blew my mic. Um, Uncontrollable. <laughs> yeah. Un uh, uncertain. Volatile. Uncertain. uncertain. Complex and ambiguous." This morning, I changed the A from ambiguous to just absurd. Absurd. <laughs> the Fed, everything is just absolutely yeah. absurd. So we have a VUCA economy. That's not going to settle down. And I think when you look at the earnings, we got, we got good earnings this week, mm -hmm. even from retailers. Mm -hmm. We had good earnings from Target, and the market sold the stock off. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what the market's doing is they're trying to assess the impact of supply chain risk, even within industries. So instead of broad brushing that all retail's bad, we're discovering that the retail, like Walmart and Costco, that deal with consumer staples, we're gonna buy those and do really well because they're, there's runs on them, they're gonna be restockpiling. But consumer discretionary, which is more target, less grocery, we're gonna get rid of those and a Kohl's and whatnot. So we kinda of gotta go through each property type and segment that. I think earnings, we just, we're just through with the fourth quarter. We're not gonna get new ones you know, here until mid-May to June. Yeah. And then I think the real impact is gonna be when we get second quarter, which could be right during the political conventions. Mm -hmm. And I think it's gonna be that forward guidance. And I don't think we know what the, 
the destructive effects going to be any more than we kind of knew what was happening with Boeing with the grounding of the 737. Just take how that's played out now, send that to an exponent to how this plays out in earnings. So what, what about job numbers? Uh, what's going on there? <laughs> so this morning, um, we had ADP report mm -hmm. numbers. It didn't even get covered on CNBC this morning. Normally, that's what they lead with. Here's right. the ADP job numbers. And it was really good. It was 183,000 for February. Nice. Guess what? <laughs> that's, that's irrelevant. That's momentum from 2019, and we have no idea. Yeah. My one big cautionary note for the market that thinks there's um, winners and, and losers in the CRE sector and, and the economy, um, and that this might be short-lived, is to look at how companies have to react to the pressures of less sales, supply chain disruption. If in 90 days from now we start to see companies say, in order to pay my banker, my loan, I gotta lay people off, that's when we have real serious problems in this economy. So I think I would start watching closely, forget all the current economic numbers, earnings, ADP, Friday's job number, just go buy a face mask or some hand gel at the grocery store. It's all irrelevant. It, it really makes no sense at all. And when I was when I was at the Fed doing my briefings, 2005 to 10, and 2006 and 7, um, I got in a little bit of trouble from public relations because my comment to Chairman Bernanke was, "Look at Chairman, forget all the data right now. You're not data dependent. We're flying by the seat of our pants. <laughs> get out of the district max. Get out of the Fed. Talk to customers. Talk to banks. Talk to clients, and find out the stresses and the type stresses that they're experiencing to figure out what type of reaction you need to do or what type of intervention." And so from that standpoint, I don't think these rate cuts do us any darn good at all. Um, Stephen Roach, who is the, um, uh, uh, he's now at Yale University, um, he was uh, the chief economist, former chief economist at Morgan Stanley. He had a great quote, quote the other day. And he said, look, it, um, the Fed uh, is, is fighting, is, is like a fish out of water, trying to fight a public health crisis with economic crisis tools. That's cutting interest rates. So when you have a public health crisis, you need a different type of intervention. The type of intervention that's gonna solve or, or really help us get through this is things like what Bernanke came up with, TARP and TALF and all these creative interventions. Mm -hmm. So I've come up with a name for my, my Fed intervention policy. It's called CIF, C-I-F, a coronavirus uh, intervention facility. Banks are gonna be faced in 90 days to two quarters out with an uptick in uh, delinquent and uh, criticized loans from businesses they can't pay or that need help on their facilities or even CRE loans look at the hotel industry or the restaurant industry. And so how are they going to deal with it? Are banks going to then have to reserve more capital because there's an uptick in loan loss? That means if they're reserving more capital, they're lending less and they choke off capital to the industry just when they need it. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what the Fed wants to fight. Mm -hmm. So why not give banks an ability to offload those facilities to this other facility using Treasury or their balance sheet. I mean, heck, they paid it down almost a couple trillion bucks, so let's load it back up, put these facilities in there, let the Fed and Treasury manage them, not have it contaminate the banks, and let the banks continue to have good ratios and continue lending and, and get through this interim period. I think we need a whole new set of tools. Uh, Chairman Powell should invite Bernanke, former Fed, uh, Kansas City Fed President Tom Honig, uh, uh, Richard Fisher, invite them all back to show them where they hit all those other tools. <laughs> <laughs> hit all the other tools. And it's the, since we're a commercial real estate show, I got I got you, you hit on loans and you hit on defaults. So, you know, we've had very low default rates in commercial real estate. Um, as, this, as the impact of this coronavirus hits in the next 60, 90, 180 days, you do expect more 
uh, defaults and credit issues? I do, and I'll, I'll give you a piece of research that came out last month before we even had all this really in the, in the press. Our friends at TREP in New York that study all this stuff, they decided to look at all of the maturing loans in the CMBS world this year and ask one question. How would they perform if interest rates just went up 1%? Mm -hmm. So whether rates would have went up or there was some other shock, really it was a question of how, how much uh, fluff do we have in these loans to withstand any kind of shock? And you know what they found out? What? 50% of this year's maturing CMBS loans would default on all of their critical default uh, debt service coverage, loan-to-value covenants, and have to go to the special servicer. 50% over 1% rate hike. So we're not going to get the rate hike, but we're going to have another shock. We're going to have a shock on the other part of the cap rate equation, the NOI side. Mm -hmm. And so that was out a month ago telling us that we had that, that kind of concern. So when they broke it apart, they said, here's where we see the biggest risk. Mm -hmm. So then it was retail. So we had 9,300 store closings last year. We already had over 2,000 in the first two months of this year. So retail's continuing you know, to, to, to go through this e-commerce evolution, retail evolution. Next that they were finding was um, that in the, uh, in the office market, that the demand was a lot lighter. Whether you know, WeWork didn't kill the office market and the co-working, but companies just weren't leasing as much space. They were still leasing and even new space, but it was a much smaller footprint. They were cramming more of us into smaller spaces or, or more, more work share. They didn't see problems in multifamily and they didn't see problems in warehouses. Yeah. So what industries do you see a potential impact? So number one is hospitality. Mm -hmm. This is gonna be a massive shock like we haven't seen on hospitality. They've been building a lot. They were price to perfection, RevPAR, average daily occupancy, all at peak levels. It'll be worse in those international markets mm -hmm. that have a lot of heavy travel, New York, Atlanta, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, in Houston, any of those type markets um, in particular. Uh, anything in the transportation industry sector. So uh, the port markets, I think particularly the LA Long Beach markets, that while most industrial warehouse leases are on long-term triple net, there's a lot of stuff on the ports that are more short-term based on one-year contracts between trade that goes in and out. So those shorter-term warehouses and those older warehouses connected really directly to the ports, I think in China trade, particularly in the West Coast, are gonna be particularly hard hit. Um, after that, I think you look at the service side of retail, the restaurants and all these things that are more discretionary where the consumer pulls back, just like they did in 2009, and says, do I really go out and eat as much? Do I really need to get an extra spa treatment? Do I really need to get the dog groomed? Or maybe I can wash them at home in the tub and Clorox it down or whatever, if there's any Clorox left. Um, so I think those are the big ones. And then I think office, we're gonna see another big impact on office because we're already hearing after, in 2009 we created this thing called staycations where we all stayed home and didn't go travel mm -hmm. after 9-11. Well now we're calling stay at, stay, at, um, stay at home work jobs. So if companies get more comfortable to another level with everybody not coming in the office and we discover how much more we can do at home without people coming in, I think we're gonna realize coming out of this that we can do with a lot less office space as well. Um, the warehouses should be overall fine, particularly the modern triple net lease big ones, because mm -hmm. um, those are 15-year net leases. Um, they may not fill them up with you know, something from China today, but they may need to fill them with you know, um, healthcare supplies and masks. So Procter & Gamble may not be filling the, the warehouses with as much of certain consumer products, but they may be filling up instead with bleach and wipes and all that kind of stuff. 
So multifamily really not impacted, unless it gets really bad, I guess. Yeah. The job market. Well, they're all going to be quarantined in their apartment. I mean, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. We're doing it yeah. here in Atlanta. The yeah. the first two cases we have, they've quarantined them at home. So, yeah. I think that's another thing we're discovering in the healthcare is mm -hmm. that we can probably more safely self quarantine at home. Mm -hmm. Now, that might accelerate single-family home purchasing, because if I'm in an apartment and I know one of my neighbors has coronavirus, I'm probably going to go do uh, an away vacation rather than yeah. a state vacation. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's amazing how, how scary the coronavirus is for a lot of people, and the, and the media certainly gets it out in a big way, you know, every second on millions of channels uh, out there, but there's also a lot of people, you know, dying from the flu, and, you know, is what what do you expect is going to happen moving down the road? I mean, you mentioned earlier you think that that maybe warm weather comes and this subsides a little bit, and and but then does the impact subside or are we now we're in the impact? It, it's it's already impacted and we're just going to see it in earnings down the road. Yeah, so it's kind of like baseball. There's a lot of innings to play out here, and to me, the kind of seventh inning stretch is going to be this time next year. And do we see this virus? morph and come back. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to learn two big lessons out of this whole thing. And I thought we would have learned that I studied this in business school at Emory University here in Atlanta in the 1980s, which is this really dumb idea for all the companies in a certain industry to put all of their labor or manufacturing or materials in one place in the world. Yeah. How in the world did we end up not connecting the dots on this to everything that's in China? And here's why even more. This whole virus and these flus that we get every year is directly attributable to China. You want to talk about a collusion investigation? We ought to look <laughs> at the, the, the uh, coronavirus collusion mm -hmm. investigation. China and Asia, for the most part, is the last place in the world where they have what are called wet markets. Mm -hmm. They process their fish, their meat, and their produce all in the same place on the same bed of ice <laughs> where you've got the viruses with poultry and fish and uh, produce commingling and creating these superbugs. Remember, over the last six to 12 months, China's had to slaughter all of its swine and pig uh, 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 herds and whatnot because of swine flu, the, the, a, a, a pig virus. Mm -hmm. So that was already gestating in these same wet markets. If the rest of the world doesn't wake up and put pressure on China to evolve and modernize its food industry, they're the biggest in the world, and we're exporting and importing all this stuff, we're toast. They are the epicenter. They're the hot spot. We're all globally interconnected. We need to bring pressure as a, as a global community on China to clean up and get rid of these wet markets. Um, that's one, and then putting everything in one place. Well, yeah, well, maybe that's a lesson that, that will be learned. So. Where might there be opportunities then in commercial real estate, or, or are there any that, that this could create? Yeah, no, there's always opportunity in risk yeah. like this. So I love the multifamily one. Mm -hmm. uh, anything on the housing. So if you're a prospective home buyer, if you're a millennial out there mm -hmm. and you've been waiting to buy, mm -hmm. just get out there this weekend. <laughs> Go look at homes. <laughs> It's only going to be a few people there. It'll help the economy, too. Right. You know, there's not enough inventory. The last thing we needed for the housing industry was a rate cut to stimulate demand. <laughs> we already had lots of demand. We just yeah. didn't have enough product. So I think this is a great time to look at refinancing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just, I'm still rattling my head over a below 1% 10-year treasury. Yeah. Um, it's mind-boggling. So, you know, go buy a home. Go find one. Go find an existing home. On the apartment side, go refinance. Yeah. You know, or if you've got anything that's coming up, 
you know, just, you know, look at, you know, the defeasance and other type complications. But if you're close to a refinance, I mean, I would just take advantage of this at the wazoo. Yeah. Um, the other one is if you do have a refinancing coming up this year, um, or maybe it's two years out, um, I think this thing could have a, a second leg to it. Mm -hmm. And I would really be working with my mortgage broker in relationship on how, how I might manage through that. This is a great time for the rates, um, but I think there are risks. I think banks are already pulling back. I've talked to a number of life company lenders. They're already putting floors in place. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're going to go out there and get a 2% mortgage, no. They've oh. already put floors in place. So we might, you know, on the residential, we'll see in the threes and the mm -hmm. commercial, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll have a floor in there, but it, they're not going to 2 or 1%. The other thing I'd pay very close attention to is remember, we have LIBOR tr transition at the end of 2021. Right. So this comes back again next year. So if you have a LIBOR index construction loan or a bridge loan or interim facility, I would really be looking at this right now because you got a, you got a, a kind of a convergence of issues. Mm -hmm. You got the virus, you got lease accounting that's been deferred, takes a place next year. We have uh, LIBOR transition. And poor Chairman Powell and his testimony to Congress, his uh, some annual Humphrey Hawkins, when he got grilled on that, he was kind of like, how do you spell LIBOR again? <laughs> I'm being a little bit facetious yeah. there, but he was deer in the headlights over yeah. LIBOR transition. Yeah. Well, what would you leave our audience with is maybe some recommended reading about all this. <laughs> I spend time with family. I, I would keep a couple of things in perspective. Go back to 2009. We had the H1N1 flu. Um, there was an administration then that waited six months to do anything with it. They waited till we had 1,000 deaths, 20,000 cases, didn't do any travel restrictions, and we hardly covered it in the media. Mm -hmm. So what's different from then with this one where I really think, whether you like Trump or not, I really think he's been proactive. I think he's been on top of this. He was doing travel restrictions weeks ago to China and was you know, called everything from a racist to he doesn't like Chinese food, he likes McDonald's, Big Macs or something. Mm -hmm. So um, one, I would chill out. This is the real world. Um, we're gonna have these type viruses and they're probably gonna become more frequent and maybe more severe mm -hmm. given our global connectivity and what I explained about wet markets. But I'll give you two good reading recommendations. So the dean likes it when I do that. So this is a one of our fellow CCIMs, uh, Jim Baker, and he wrote a book uh, recently published called uh, Confessions of a Commercial Real Estate Broker. And I love it. The way it's organized, it's organized by the days of the year. So there's 365 days. And so he wrote and reflected on his career and the most memorable event that happened in his career on that date, good or bad, as well as brings in some, some context from some other things, what, what's historically significant. So just for you, Michael, today, he puts in there, this is National Salesperson Day. All so, right. So uh, go out there and let's get some real estate sold. So that's one reading. But my other favorite one, and I did share this with the Fed last week, is called Seussisms. So everything we need to know really came from Dr. Seuss. Um, I'm still able to read this to my youngest son. And my favorite one in here right now to help us all is make sure you look for the light, see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And so um, two things to keep in mind there. Sometimes it really is the exit in fresh air. Another time, it's just another freight train coming right down the tracks. Get off the tracks. <laughs> Those are my reading recommendations. Those are great recommendations and, and great information as usual. Thanks for joining us, Casey. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for joining us around the world, around the nation, whether you're watching our uh, video or you're uh, listening to the podcast. Hey, we appreciate your comments and sharing the show. Please connect with us on your favorite social media. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show.
appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.